I have to play you this. This was from your Robin Revillius interview that you did, and it features only on the longer version uh, on the Breathe Pictures podcast, but I... I thought I have to play this. What on earth was going? Well, I'll, I'll get the camera. Wonderful. Yeah, on. thank you so much. How about that cake now? Yes, I will. Shall I cut it open? Oh, yes, do. Help yourself. It's so quaint. Probably not. Oh look, you said, "Are you going to have a slice?" And she said, "Probably not." How did that make you feel now? Because look, listen now. <laughs> you like you go to war with the wrapping. Look, how much wrapping is on this cake? <laughs> I remember that cake. I haven't edited this longer. This is you <laughs> opening the cake. <laughs> I I know, you. Uh, I'm sure it was raining really hard. <laughs> There's another 30 seconds of this. Uh, what were you doing, making wrapping? Yeah, well, we're not all as clever as you would be able to switch <laughs> off audio and stuff. I was panicking. <laughs> I thought the, the funniest bit, though, was was when when you asked her would you like some cake and she said no i won't but no you carry on fat boy yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this is your it's still going this is your remit Mullins. oh no what are you doing now uh, i think, I think you're i was getting out the knife you're yeah. stealing the silver now yeah <laughs> um, i remember that cake though it was very very nice was it what flavor was it once i got into it it was like a very traditional um like english current Cake. And Robin didn't have, have any at all, no? No. None at all. She did have some soup for me, though. She had soup in your cake. The Fuji cast. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a thing. Uh, this week, oh, first of all, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a military gr- I love this, military grade. Military I mean, this grade. stuff's tough. Yeah. Uh, rugged camera strap to each of our favourite email questions of the week. We have one each, and, um, well, they'll, they'll come up as the show goes on today. Uh, remember, too, that all competition answers and winners are on the website only, Fujicast, www.fujicast.co.uk, which is where you'll also find our Facebook friends page, uh, which we'll talk about soon. So if you want to find out if you've been a winner, we've had two competitions in particular. There was the one to win the album, wasn't there? Q- albums yep and which was brilliant so thank you to qt for that and then there was uh, also the chance to come and be with us take part in the recording of the, of the podcast correct and Spend then we were <laughs> taking the costa yeah <laughs> so you will if you are lucky enough to have won any of those we will email you directly as well um if you haven't received an email and you want to be envious of the people who have won it go onto the website and have a look at that list <laughs> we're going to do that again I, I had a couple of ideas i know you should never discuss ideas before we've talked and i'm, I'm kind of doing it in a public arena now but i had another couple of ideas for meetups and stuff i thought we should really do a christmas party where we go to your local pub in malmesbury <laughs> and i'll take all the outside broadcast stuff yeah and we'll just we'll get we'll get you know blathered and talk about fuji film cameras all at the same time well i think that's an amazing idea <laughs> however the locals yeah. in my pub they um, appreciate it especially people like shep and Shep. people like One-Eyed Bob and <laughs> you're making these people and up. Na- Naughty Norman uh, <laughs> might might uh, have their eyes opened a little bit really? some of these people probably have never left Wiltshire no yeah. how many eyes does One-Eyed Bob have one. Oh, yeah you, enough. you surprised me and his actual real name is William so do you not like that idea then I do actually I think it's a great idea so yeah. I had that and I had a, a summer idea. barbecue idea but the problem with the summer barbecue idea is you're always away for the entire summer yeah so unless we come to Spain yeah. then um, oh yeah you're more than welcome well there we go a Spanish a Spanish broadcast mm. oh, that would be si. good yeah quisiera dos por favor that's the only thing you know how to say <laughs> 
Um, we have our self-indulgent minute where we thank you for the wonderful reviews you've been making at Apple Podcasts. Our guest today is Sean Tucker, rising YouTube... Well, you can't really say rising YouTube photography star, really, can you? Because when you've got quarter mil, you've officially arrived, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 yeah, absolutely. He, rising is not the right word to use. Right. YouTube star. YouTube star. Sensation. Um, he plays right into our second half topic in terms of social media presence and having to deal with the, uh, the not-so-good as, as well as the good. In the second half, we talk about the currency of likes and dealing with social media negativity. Um, so there we go. That's what's on the show today. Um, we've got... Um, oh, before we start with the first question, which you can leap off with, I need to, uh, I need to, just, um, I need to just say something. Uh, this is from Pano Man. Neil, for the love of podcasting, please stop playing the email sound effect. <laughs> Even though it's not mine, and I know it's not, it puts me right on edge while I'm listening as I think there are emails coming in. Loving the show, just not the sound effect of the email. <laughs> it's Get a one- very good point. <laughs> Get one of the kids to read the email addresses out or something. Well, that's not a bad idea at all. So uh, no longer this the, the last time. Here we go. Ready? That's it. I just got an email. <laughs> is, that, is that your phone? <laughs> oh, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. But everybody's looking down. Oh, it's, I'm, I know I don't have vibration on. Anyway, you go with the first email. No email effect. Okay, so uh, this is from Adam Gerhold. And he says, my name is Adam, and I am from New Hampshire, USA. I recently switched from Nikon to the Fujifilm X-Series, or X100F. Oh, I like the way you go into the American Nikon. Nikon, not Nikon. And I love we're it. We're the only people in the world that call it Nikon. Uh, yeah, we're the only ones that say Nike as well. Oh, no, Nike, rather Nike. than Nike. Nike. Sorry, I interrupted your flow. Uh, yeah. I shoot primarily live concerts, but have shot a few friends' weddings and would like to shoot more. My question to you is, how do you go about branding, pitching yourself as a documentary-style wedding photographer? Ooh. Especially when you don't have a portfolio, etc., etc. Thanks very much. Really enjoy the podcast as well as the work from both yourself and Neil. Keep it up. Uh, a really good, in, uh, actually, a really good question because I think uh, Neil, yourself, and I definitely get lots of. Well, I won't say lots, but probably once a month, I get an inquiry from the USA, and the inquiry is usually the same. We're really struggling to find a documentary-style wedding photographer in mm. our area of the United States, and you know, are you interested? And of course. I can't do it. I won't do it um, because the visas and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, your mileage may vary on your, um, uh, your 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 wanderings into the America to shoot weddings. Uh, however, the fact is there are people out there that want documentary wedding photographers in America, um, but the style and the um, uh, you know the, the the cultural differences perhaps are different there, and it's definitely not something that is uh, as prevalent as in Europe. I would say, yeah. and so. So, you know, that the, the point I'm making, I guess, is that because there's less people looking for that style, that means you've got less fish in that barrel to shoot at. But those fish are bigger fish. Um, and the only way that really I think that you can you can try and approach this is to be totally honest with your website, your content, your social media. There isn't if you really want to be a documentary style wedding photographer, there is no, regardless what part of the world you're in, there is no point having, uh, you know, catering for the masses and having wedding dresses hanging on trees or close-ups of the wedding rings or beautiful portraits. Yeah, I was going to say it straight away. Be very targeted. Yeah. Because I, as soon as you, and I get this from, from people that, that contact me that say, oh, we chose to come and see you and a couple of others um, because the first thing we, we saw on your website was a picture of somebody crying. 
and it, it wasn't a picture of a of a pair of shoes or, or rings yeah. stuck in a cake in, in artistic fashion. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you, you know, it will be more difficult in places where it's not the norm, but it wasn't the norm in the UK not so long ago. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's become more prevalent. And I, I suspect that will happen in America also. Um, I mean, you know, the USA is huge. There's a lot of people there. Mm. There's a lot of people who want different styles of wedding photography. But what you mustn't do, I feel, is just take the easy route and, you know, take on the, the more traditional style weddings because you think you're that's the only way in. Because then you'll end up just shooting those. You'll get depressed by shooting those if, you know, if, if, if that's the style that, that you don't want to shoot. And you'll come away not liking the weddings. You won't put enough effort into it. And then you'll just wander off and drift away and do something else. So be targeted. Be absolutely very targeted. Be honest. Stick pictures of people crying on your website. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The, the brand in the website is all about attracting people as much as it is about pushing people away. So what you don't want is people coming to your website and saying, yeah, we really like those pictures of people crying on your yeah. website. However, we want, you know, we're getting married in a lovely Malibu beach house and we want 65 group shots on the beach. And then you just go, yeah, OK, we'll do that. Was part of that question, though, also to deal with how do you get to that situation? How do you how do you get to shoot it? Or, or have I, I, did no, I, not really. It was more about the branding. Well, my um, wife's always telling me I don't listen. So this is just another opportunity, really. What did you say? <laughs> All right. Very funny. Also, by the way, you can look on your own doorstep for documentary work. Uh, I, I do. I don't do lots and lots, but I do some Turkish weddings from time to time. Mm-hmm. And in London, um, there aren't many documentary. We- well, there's lots of documentary wedding photographers. That's nonsense. But there aren't many that deal with um, Turkish weddings. Right. Um, there's no reason why they couldn't. Every documentary wedding photographer could deal with, do a, with a Turkish wedding. I'd love to do it's it. It's just that I, I happened across a Turkish wedding um, because I'd shot a wedding of uh, a friend, and I found myself in that community. And now um, I haven't become the go-to by, by any means, but I I've certainly figure more when in, mm. there's one certain venue called the Curvan that does an awful lot of Turkish weddings. Right, and I'm writing that down now. <laughs> email them. <laughs> No, they don't the push me forward. K E R V A N. But I do remember doing a Turkish weddings are huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just the sheer numbers of people um, 13, 1400 people. Yeah. I remember saying to um, a bride at one of, these, uh, one of these weddings, I said, Do you know uh, everyone in here? She said, oh, No idea. I wouldn't even think my father knows half of these people. I'm not sure where, where they all came from. But they certainly turned up with money and, and um, yeah. they, they do the pinning the money yeah, on yeah. the. As the Greeks do, yeah. I, yeah. In fact, I had an inquiry uh, a couple of weeks ago for a wedding in Istanbul. Oh. Not Constantinople, no. Istanbul. Cue the song. Uh, uh, yep, and uh, sadly I couldn't do it, but oh. yeah, Istanbul. That would have been Turkish that wedding. Would have, that would is that have, that is in Turkey? That definitely would have been a Turkish yeah. wedding, yeah. There's no doubt in sure my mind, mind that would have been a Turkish wedding. Geographic abilities. Hello, Kevin and Neil. I just shot a wedding this past weekend. A lot of wedding questions. Um, uh, this this weekend, I was curious how you guys decide when you're post-processing. This doesn't have to be just for weddings, actually. Which photographs are colour and which will be black and white? Do you have a formula you go by or a rule of thumb. Well, we talked, we kind of, I think we talked about the idea of working in islands of colour, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. And that's how I make my decisions. I, um, I, d- I don't like to dance around too much um, as the portfolio 
um, or the collection as, as it as it expands out. If you're going with color, color, black and white, black and white, color, mm-hmm, black and white, mm-hmm, color, mm-hmm. color, black and white, black islands and white, color. of color, islands of color, or islands of black and white. Yeah, well, it's the same way, obviously. Yeah, um, and that's the way I do it because um, often I'm using these images then in a photo film mm-hmm. um, where images will sit alongside each other and if they're darting between colour and black and white it's just uh, it's just a dog's dinner of design mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. particularly in albums mm. I'm, I'm a real um, I'm not I'm not I swear I'm not, I'm not obsessively um, uh, compulsive about this but when I design an album I don't like there to be um, a colour picture amongst a load of black no. and white yeah. or vice versa I think that looks like a dog's dinner of design I think mm-hmm. maybe you can make those those decisions in partly in that way I tend to choose um, when, when the moments are more emotional I go for black and white mm-hmm. if it's something that's important for clothing mm-hmm. it'll be colour mm-hmm. yeah yeah similar I mean I always say to my clients that uh, you know unless they purchase the black and white only coverage I always say to them that you know if a picture if I'm photographing it because of the colour then it will be in colour um, but typically when I'm doing an edit these days, if there hasn't been any kind of conversation like that and there's no obvious, uh, you know, theme running through, I will, uh, if I've been shooting raw at least, I will be thinking, you know, summer weddings especially, all of the outside stuff will be in colour, anything inside will be in black and white, so you tend to have like bridal prep black and white. Yeah outside of the church colour inside the church black and white uh, reception colour dancing Um, dancing yeah we would normally be in colour though when you get to that point Uh, winter weddings more black and white coverage there's certainly a lot less colour there Um, but yeah it's 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 definitely worth the worst thing you can possibly do I I agree with you Neil is to have to just randomly go through and think oh that one looks better in black and white that one looks better in colour yeah do it in, in islands, islands of colour or islands of monochrome. Think about it that way, um, and you know you'll be better. Here's a neat little tip, also by the way. Uh, nothing to do with black and white and colour, but on editing and workflow. I've started editing my weddings backwards, so I start at the end. Why? Well, <laughs> strap yourself in. This is quite a long Stand one. Stand by. Warning. Warning. Imagine, if you will, you have a sentence, a written sentence. Yes. Okay, and the word the is repeated twice. Okay, in that sentence. Now, if you read it forwards, your brain will automatically skip over the second the. You read it completely naturally. Your brain can put the context together. Mm. If you read the exact same sentence backwards, your brain stops at the word the, the second the. (laughs) Yeah, but because it can't, there's no context. Because the sentence doesn't make sense in our brain. We're just reading a sequence of words. Oh, I see what you mean by backwards. Rather than a story. I was being daft. Um, and I find when I'm editing weddings also, it helps me because if I'm going backwards, mm-hmm. I, um, I don't really have the the insight and the knowledge in my brain, because my brain is tiny, uh, <laughs> of what's coming next because it's it's in reverse order, right? right. And so I find that I, I can concisely edit I can actually edit quicker because I'm not thinking about the next picture already. I'm just doing it on a one-on-one image basis. And it, it makes a difference. You should try it. It's the same mm-hmm. chess players, like Grand Slam chess players. When they, If they are analysing a new game, let's just say there's been a new World Championship game, yep. and you know, normally with chess games they get to, say, 15, 16 moves into the game, and, and that has been played many, many times before. And then when the game becomes unique, which is pretty pretty hard, but when it does become unique, when those grandmasters start analysing those chess games, they'll often analyse it backwards. So they'll start with the checkmate and start analysing the work moves back backwards. To where, yeah, okay, because their yeah, brain think yeah. has to think harder and it's not a it's not a natural progression that way. Um, it's really interesting. God, I never thought of it like that. It's before. called it's called psychology. 
Thank you very much for the lesson. The psychology of wedded in backwards. Much appreciated. Right. Uh, have you got some? Uh, let's go for the reviews. We should do our <laughs> self-indulgent minute. I'll start. Fantastic podcast, not just for Fuji fans. As a Fuji shooter, I've been a huge fan of Kevin's for years. So while the podcast is great for those Fuji tips and chat, it's also a great resource for general photography too. At iMarkyP. Thank you, guys. Okay, I've got one from Bert Palmer, who we featured last week, I think. Oh, Bert. Good old Bert. Um, yeah. Very nice guy. I don't even shoot Fuji, but this has quickly turned into one of my favourite photography... Photography. <laughs> photography. Photography podcasts. <laughs> can't can't re-edit that, because the, the bed's running. I, I, I'm still in Turkey. Um, great content, <laughs> great production, and plenty of humour. It's really enjoyable. Listen, even after 10 years shooting weddings, I learn something new from these guys each week. Thank you, Bert. At Alison E26, just listen to the last three back-to-back. That is called Big Binging, which I think it, it proves it's an enjoyable show. Easy listening, easy listening, and informative. Look forward to hearing more. We're, a, bo- we're a box set. Yeah. Um, S. Picard says, Thank you, Neil and Kevin, for another great podcast. The segment on James Revilius and listening to Robin Revilius made my day. Mm-hmm. At the end of the podcast, I scuttled over to Breathe Pictures Photography. Mm-hmm. Podcast to listen to the full interview. Tumas Michelonian's question was thought-provoking. As an amateur photographer, I am my worst critic and never happy with my work. Mm. Looking forward to the next podcast. Thank you very much. Sorry. Thank you for your reviews. And yeah, yeah, that's a bit like the Peter McKinnon two-minute thing, isn't it? I think that S. I think S. Picard uh, is the same one that sent the email. Remember when we said um, we had an email about Robin Robin Revillius interview? Yeah. I think that's the same person. I think possibly. Oh, it may not be though. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, questions. Um, shall I go, or you, you're going to you go? go? You okay. go. You go. You go. Um, this is um, from Suriante Orange. Suriante Orange. Is that the way I say it? Suriante. Suriante Orange. Hi. Thank you for the work. The info in the video is very. Va- oh no, this was something that came out of a YouTube, but I, I copy pasted mm-hmm. it. Thank you to you and um, the rest of my research. I decided to go for an XT3. I always feel um, a little bit concerned when i make a movie mm, and your fault and then it's my fault mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i've not got any idea about um um the, the system oh dear so i need it for food and street photography but also for video and dynamic portrait work like interviews could you tell me the must-have lenses which i i need to have in the kit bag let's say maybe the the best four you choose Okay, so, well, for food, see, I don't really do food photography. So I guess for food, you'd need a macro or something, would you? Yes, possibly. I'm so sorry. you have the 60 macro, 60 mil macro f2.4, which is the slowest lens on the planet, but right. actually, I think it's still the sharpest lens. It is a slow lens. You can bring up chi- children and send them off to university yeah. at the time. But, um, I guess I would go for, well, now I'm going to choose the ones that I have in my kit bag that I use the most, which would be the 16 millimeter. The twenty-three, um, the um, the fifty-six, and you did mention filming. So for me, ten to twenty-four, that zoom mm-hmm. is a perfect lens for when you're when you're doing run and gun shooting for video. Mm-hmm. They would be my four. Yeah. Uh, the other option, obviously, is the eighty mil macro, um, which is the newer macro, faster, probably much quicker to focus. Right. I don't have the eighty mil. I have the sixty mil still. Um, yeah, I agree. What's the equivalent of the one three five in um, old 90, money? Ninety mil. Ninety. Ninety mil f two point eight. I keep thinking see, that used to be. I when I was a Canon shooter, the one three five. I must have had three of those lenses. Yeah, I did too. I, I bought one, sold one. Mm. Bought second one mm-hmm. from from funnily enough from a friend, Stephen um, Stephen Carter Houston. Sold me his one three five. Used it, sold it, um, and then. 
I bought, and then I thought, I'm going to have a third go at this. A couple of years ago, bought one, sold it. Mm. But it, it is a, sometimes when, particularly in weddings, if you're at the back of a church, it just gives you that little bit of extra throw. Yeah, they're 90 mil. Um, I don't have that either. And I did have it for a while. I loaned it for a while. Um, I didn't really have much use for it. Mm. But yeah, for portraits and everything, it's, it's. I mean, the work that I've seen with people shoot that 90 mil. And even people like Jeff Carter have used it on the racetracks. And it's like phenomenal, the, the bouquet. Is, is it, is it quick? amazing. It's very quick. Yeah, yeah. very quick. Well, it needs to be if he's using it on the, um, on the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've used the 50 to 140 on the track, and that's quite good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yours. Okay. Uh, right, I have one from our friend Stephen Vaughan. He's getting in every week. <laughs> I think he's going for a record and how yeah. many times he could be mentioned. Uh, loving the podcast and spreading the words for you guys. Thank you. Uh, I know Kevin's comments on DNG files last week. On a related topic, I have found that using Irident X Transformer as a demosaic pre-treatment for RAF files can give slightly cleaner raw files to take into Lightroom, especially with the X-T3, as the high ISO images, 6400 and above, look a little noisier than our X-H1 and X-100F. Because he been eating a textbook or something. It seems to make the noise more film-like. It does, however, add another step, and it converts the RAF files to DNG as part of the processing. Have you used Irident and any comments? Uh, it, it, so, first of all, I call it Irident. Iridient, I think, is the correct pronunciation. Iridient. And the answer is no, I've never used it. Um, <laughs> basically, I did use it once and I honestly couldn't see any difference. Right. Um, however, I do know people that do use it and they swear by it religiously, so it must have some merit. Um, I also know that Lightroom recently added this new feature where you can, I don't know, clean up Fujifilm uh, RAF files if they're highly um, sharpened and various bits and pieces. But honestly, the last thing I, I could think about is adding another step into my workflow and, and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think perhaps for landscape and fine art and where you're editing individual images or a small set of images but when you're editing four or five hundred images for a wedding it's, it's not something not I'm, I'm likely day, yeah. I'm likely to do however like I say I know that there are um, I know that the guy that makes Iridient developer is a independent developer and he's you know he's doing good things for the community so um, people have been using it and they do get good results from it obviously Stephen has um, so yeah but the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> the lifeblood of the show are your questions. And the only way you can get through to us with them, although, to be fair, I did read a YouTube one, is click at fujicast.co.uk. That's click at fujicast.co.uk. Questions on anything. Um, I think you've worked out by now we're, we're not just um, Fujifilm. Uh, we can talk about uh, digital marketing. We can talk about genres. Um, in fact, next week um, we, we're going to be talking about a focal length more than actually the, the equipment itself. So click at fujicast.co.uk for your questions. Right, guest, before we come back. This week, I had a chance to go and see um, a YouTuber who who I follow. Sensation. Oh, I, I just his work is phenomenal, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sean Tucker. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Sean Tucker's channel, and I think he probably only had five to ten thousand mm. subscribers or something. Mm. Um, and um, will you describe? What, I mean, I, I I know why I particularly like his style on on YouTube. Oh, I love him because he's uh, he's honest. He's normal. He's just a bloke chatting about photography and his thoughts, and he absolutely has full integrity. 
says it as it is it's no pretentious there's no fancy swirls and swishes and beats and bongs and bangs and stuff no. and you know you b-roll I, I don't <laughs> i don't think we'll ever see sean tucker on a on a monoboard <laughs> going in slow motion <laughs> no. and stuff like that uh, not that there's anything wrong with that kind of stuff but yeah i yeah i love it and and like you i've been following his stuff from the early days um yeah and He's, uh, he's, he, I've never met him, of course, but you, you have, and, uh, yeah, nice, certainly a nice guy. He was at, he was one of the speakers at Matt Hart's Hip Festival. Oh, last, yes, he was. Last year. Yeah. Um, and I know that he, uh, people I've spoke to from there, people like Lee Glasgow and stuff, said, you know, and they're really good friends with him. So he's, he's obviously a very approachable, yeah. happy person as well, which is nice. Well, I caught up with him in Wandsworth, which is uh, where he's now based. And this week we're talking about social media, and that's the topic at the end of the show, and how to deal with the rough as well as the smooth. So this seemed an appropriate interview this week to include on the Fujicast. Sean's channel has swiftly climbed the consciousness charts, is now followed by nearly a quarter million subscribers. Not really a complete standing start, but much of the attention, I guess, has really come over the last 24 months or so. Sean breaks all the YouTube success tick box rules. He doesn't upload daily, not even weekly. Some months it really is just one film. He doesn't shout at you. And as Kev said, he's not filming from a one wheel or hoverboard. His films aren't kit reviews. They're shared beliefs, shared feelings, sometimes tech, but more often philosophical thoughts about what it means to be a photographer, the struggles we face and how we can better ourselves. And though he trained in a seminary and almost became a preacher, his films certainly are anything but. He's gentle, thought-provoking, but above all, believable, honest and generous. Now, there's a much, much longer version of my chat with Sean on my Breathe Pictures podcast, where you'll hear all about his move from seminary to photography and then becoming a full-time photography YouTuber. So if you watch YouTube, if you like YouTube, if you're interested, if you have your own channel, if you follow Sean, then it's a super insight into his work. But in this short excerpt, I began by asking him if it's the absolute laid-bare honesty that really has projected him on the YouTube platform. I don't know. I think so. Uh, looking at the comments you get and the community that builds around it, it's definitely what people talk about the most on my channel. And it, it, was, it was a decision early on because when I started in photography, I went to YouTube like everybody else does to learn skills and teach yourself, which is great. You can do that today. It's amazing. And I was often really disheartened by watching YouTubers who, you know, most of their video ended up being a marketing tactic of look how great I am, look how much success I have and all the clients that want to work with me. And then a month later, you'd see they disappeared because they went bankrupt. I'm like, oh, you were lying. You, you were just saying stuff because the whole point of you making videos was to show off about how great you are and how discouraging that was to me trying to teach myself going well if this guy's doing this and he's got so many clients what's wrong with me why can't i make this work and i made a choice that i would never make videos like that that i would be as honest about where it's not working and failing and how how little work i actually get in as a photographer and how it's a constant struggle even if i have a youtube channel that's working it's still a struggle and still difficult to make things work and and the, the one guy who stands out i think was uh, Zach Arias, who, yeah, who 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 the tone of his videos felt a bit different to me, and he was someone I, I I latched onto earlier. And there was a video he did for Scott Kelby's channel, I think, called Transform. This the one where he said, "I'm moving a thousand miles down." Uh, I can't remember the. It's such a beautiful quote, but I yeah. can't remember it. Yeah, and it's sort of very ambient, lots of sort of B-roll and voiceover, and it was very very honest about how it wasn't working for him. And I thought that 
that video made an impression on me and I, and I always wanted to be at least that honest and say where it wasn't working because I think if I'm genuinely not just trying to show off about the fact that I think I'm a good photographer and I'm trying to help people because I think that's what a lot of people do on YouTube is there's a, they, they've got this veil of I want to educate people but it, it's mostly about promoting themselves and I, I didn't want to fall into that trap so I'm very deliberate about being honest about where things are difficult or or where my work didn't meet my own standards or other people's standards or where you know money was tight or because then it encourages people to know that the difficulties in their journey are everyone's there's safety in numbers we can just keep going together and I, then I think I am more likely to help the danger of course is that people can contrive that that scenario as well I've seen films um, I've watched films where people talk of their struggles and I thought oh are you are you really struggling or, or, or is this a struggle just to get figures? I mean, that's an integrity issue, isn't it? That's you, you, you have to call yourself on that. If, if you're if you've now using vulnerability as a gimmick, then you're going to uh, I mean, like you've seen through it. I think it is easy to, th- to see through and people can usually pick up the difference. But yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely it, it's what I did in the church. It's it's what I do on YouTube. It's it's what I hopefully will always do. I I I I, I don't like building deeper friendships or relationships with people where I can't really trust what you're saying or I feel like you're trying to impress me the whole time. We're not going to go very far. The people I build around me are people like that. It's it's what I relate to. So it's what I'm very hard on myself about putting out to the rest of the world as well. Was there one? It was only one video. It, it's difficult because I. I I, th- I feel I know your back catalogue really quite intimately. Was there one where you think that's the one? It probably is the Snowdonia one right at the start, isn't it? It's the one that that uh, felt like the direction going forward for me. I'd, I'd done a few tutorials, some more dry product tutorials, which is still on my channel, which did all right, but I didn't connect with them. And I don't. I think other people connected with them because it gave good info, not because there was anything more to it. But the Snowdonia one, again, I was being very vulnerable and saying that I was shooting in studios all week, very technical product photography, which wasn't very creative. So I'm going to put myself out there, go and shoot um, landscapes, which I don't do. It's not something I'm very good at. Just to try and refresh photography as a pursuit and discovery and by putting myself in a position where I didn't know what I was doing. And and people related to that because of the vulnerability in that. And and that felt like what I used to do with church. So it's like, that's the way forward. Yeah, and that that video did well. And I think it got passed around a lot. And that's where it it ticked up for me a little bit on the channel. Yeah, and and I saw the potential of something going forward. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you, you hear this all the time, the photographer's game is kind of getting up when you think the light's going to be good, which is obviously before sunrise and right up to sunset. Try and find a spot and wait it out and hope the magic happens. Um, unfortunately, I mean, this is what I've chosen. I came up here last night and had a look, and it's got this beautiful view over this dam here. And I'm all set up, ready to go. And uh, it's very cloudy. So... So there are breaks in the cloud like up there. So I'm thinking maybe if I get lucky and uh, just get a clear spot, maybe we'll get some light coming through. But then again, what they don't tell you is you could sit here and you know, you've woken up at five in the morning and hiked all the way up this mountain and uh, nothing's gonna happen. It's just gonna be cloudy. But that's why that's what the game is. So I'm gonna hang out here for about I mean, on my channel, the, the videos that do well are not the ones that I like. They're, they're, the, they're the info ones. It's like if I, if I, I think the, the most viewed one on my channel is about, you know, choosing 
developing a color look to your images and how you dial that in custom. You don't rely on presets. I don't really care about that video. I care about something where I'm sitting and telling a bit of a story. They don't do as well. Like I just did one in January this year with my grandfather who was showing through images he took in 1945, 46, 47 when he was in the Navy, including, you know, the ruins of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and down to Australia and and Singapore, Hong Kong and uh, amazing stories. Like I'm really happy I captured that and think it's it's a good watch. This one, I hope you can see it. He is a Japanese prisoner of war. Mm. He'd been, we had him on board ship, a Japanese prisoner of war on board as a working party. Mm. And as they were leaving the ship, I stood at the bottom of the gangway with my brownie box camera, Mm. ready to take photographs of some of them as they came off. And he's running at me. To try and knock the camera out of my hand, oh, gosh. but I did. But it's never going to get the traction of me telling you how to do color theory. But I'm not out to build a techie channel. I want it to be the story-driven stuff. So I'll give the technical stuff every now and again because I don't mind, and it's stuff I know. But I want to focus on the other stuff. Your, your videos have a, a very gentle pace. They start with a philosophical quote, or maybe a, a couple of quotes. Uh, not not just from photographic masters, though. Where where did the idea for for that come from? It's a it's a wonderful way to start a film. I mean, I feel ex- extremely is the word appropriate comfortable the moment I start watching a Sean Tucker film. That's lovely. Um, documentaries, really. I think a lot of I, I love a documentary. I mean, I, I would rather watch a documentary than a feature film, like a a, a, a fiction. Um, and a lot of documentaries start with some kind of quote to set the theme and I think that stuck somewhere and I think the first time I did it was that Snowdonia video um, something I'd read that week because when I when I script a video or write down the ideas for it I will throw in quotes that have sparked thinking around it that I don't necessarily include but it just it just helps me think around a theme and at that point when I was writing the script for that I'm like well why not you've got these quotes in there they really sort of match what you're doing throw them up front in text and and let it lead in with some I think at that one I had shots of the river going past and just ambient sound of the of the of the water going past and it was a nice way to kind of slowly lead into it I think and and you've uh, championed quality over quantity there's no doubt about that Um, uh, the the reason for that is, is that purely because these take so so long to produce a little bit it's and it's not the length of filming or editing even though that takes a long time it's more I feel like um, the kind of stuff I want to do should feel rich in content and that takes time to live first and to think through and then to write and that's, that takes the most time not the filming and the editing I can get that done in a few days it's, it's, it's something I mean I have a list on my phone of topics I've probably got 80, 90 topics ready to go which if I'm only doing you know 12 to 20 videos a year that's the next four years but a lot of them aren't ready they're ideas that I I know I still need to do thinking around and when I'm ready to do a video I'll I'll sort of thumb down that list and and realize I've done enough living to write that script now and then I can sit down and I can write out that script for a week or work on the idea and 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 that's what takes time and I watch too many YouTubers that I really like over time, I feel I've started to dilute their content because they've given themselves a hectic schedule of two videos a week or something. I mean, I would not be able to do that and not dilute my content. There's no ways I could keep up with that schedule. I don't have a, something interesting to say every week. And I made a commitment early on. I only wanted to make stuff that I would want to watch. And I could only do that realistically 
I mean, I only promise one video a month on my channel in the trailer. I often do, at the moment I'm doing two, sometimes I did three last month, but I don't tell people that. I'm only promising one a month and when they're ready, they're ready. Um, and I, I, yeah, quality is more important. I never want to get to the stage where I'm diluting or stretching content thin because I'm trying to fill a schedule. If you want to hear that interview in its full length, then head to the Breathe Pictures podcast, which has over an hour of his chat with me, where he shares more about being a YouTuber, the hows and the whys of it. Plus, we touch on street photography and his own backstory. Thank you to Sean for sharing his thoughts. Kev. Okay, so back to the questions. And uh, my question of the week, which means that this person is going to get a simpler strap. I still haven't done a a, a fanfare. Sorry, I will get on that. I promise. (laughs) So this one is from, uh, hello from Greece, dear Neil and Kevin. Mm -hmm. This is from George Fakinos. Fakinos. I've been to Fakinos, I think. (laughs) sorry we promised we would i think there's a place close to merthyr tittle called that as well okay right sorry that was extremely rude i apologize terrible terrible well let's just call him george george uh congratulations on the podcast i have a very easy question for you imagine you want to photograph the wedding of a friend as a wedding gift your friend has already hired a pro wedding photographer so you are just going to have some fun and create your kind of photos no strings attached what tips would you give yourself what would be your strategy and your way of thinking considering this is not a job just a nice gift for your friend always scares me though that P.S. Only one camera and one lens, which is a Canon EOS M5 and 32mm 1.4 lens. Um, Well, first of all, I think that... So the EOS M5 is a full-frame camera, I think, is it? Uh, possibly 32 mil seems like an old focal length for full frame for George as, as you speak yeah okay well anyway it's going to be somewhere in the middle um, which is a good focal length so EOS uh, M- M5 M5 yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good focal length 32 mil whether it's full frame or not it's going to be somewhere between 26 full frame and perhaps yeah. 41 if it's a APS oh, it's the, of course it's the mirrorless isn't it yeah 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 yeah. doesn't say does it must say somewhere anyway I'm sure somebody will let us know either way um well, what I would do, firstly, is under no circumstance put any pressure on yourself because no. you're there as a guest and you're there to enjoy it also. Um, but this is basically the way that I started. I started going to friends' weddings. In those days, most of my friends were having their first wedding and um, many of them have gone on to have more than one wedding. And I would go just as a guest and take a uh, what was in those days a, a Canon 350D or 300D or something like that. I think they call it a rebel or something in America. Yeah. And I um, can't remember the lens I used to choose, but yeah, I used to go and just essentially take snaps, candid snaps. And I would, it depends. The, the question is a little bit kind of disjointed in that there is a pro photographer there and you're doing it as a, you know, it is a gift. So that, presumably you want to give them something other than just kind of snapshots of the people that are in front of you but the most important thing by far regardless of style or orientation of uh, camera gear or anything is that you do not get in the way of the professional photographer he's there he's been hired to do his job or she has been hired to do her job and that is paramount absolutely paramount Um, what I would probably try and do is try and do essentially the opposite of what the professional photographer is doing so if it's a very formal wedding and the professional photographer is doing his job or her job um, then I would be doing the candid 
extended shots around that. Uh, you know, perhaps if he's photographing bride and groom coming down the aisle, I might be photographing people in the congregation looking at them coming down the aisle. You know, the, the stuff that the professional photographer is not going to be seeing, not going to be shooting, um, regardless of his style. That's probably what I would be doing. But number one, don't get in the way of the pro. Number two, relax, enjoy it. Don't put pressure on yourself. It's a very difficult thing photographing friends' weddings. Uh, yeah, it is. Although I do enjoy it myself, I must admit. Um, mm. I've got one coming up for a very good friend, and I'm shooting his wedding in October. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a well, he's a he's a part-time photographer, um, but his eye is great. And for me, that that's, it's a good challenge because I think it focuses you. One-eyed Bob's used to have a good good eye. <laughs> We're back to one-eyed Bob. He's got a good focusing eye, one-eyed yeah. Bob. Yeah, so, uh, well, good luck, George, with that. Yep. And um, have fun That's as well. That's the question of the week, Enjoy remember. So, George, I will be uh, emailing you and um, uh, you'll be getting your simpler strap. Can I play my um, my question of the week as well? Mm-hmm. Um, this one was it was a long email, but the end of it um, was, I thought, the apposite part. Tommy, uh, Tommy Wessel from Vale in Colorado. I've decided that X-T3 is a great video camera, even without the IBIS. It's probably better than the full-frame Nikon D750 in many ways. I'm assuming he's done his research on that. They're his thoughts, not mine. But are people uh, but, but are people dismissive of any APS-C camera to the point where it could jeopardise my professional progress? You're both successful in your own right using Fuji systems, but for someone newer trying to break through, is all this hype about full frame something to consider seriously? Oh, this is a big subject all of its own. Or should I not worry about it and go make the best content I can with the APS-C sensor? Because I know I can, I know after hours of research that the X-T3 can handle it. Um, part of that question, I think, is perhaps aimed at people that look at what you're using as a camera and think... So you've just walked into my um, my professional environment here with that, have you? I was expecting something much larger. Do you think part of that is is that? Yeah, I, and, and you know what? With um, no disrespect to the question, but the only people that I've ever had this question from are other photographers. Right. Not, not once has a client ever said anything to me. Not once. Right. Not in uh, the 400-odd weddings I've shot with feature film cameras not once in any of the commercial shoots i've done but it's interesting that people do when when, when you're using say for, for the x pro 2 was the only camera i ever used in terms of people asking questions about it i've had mm. nobody ask any questions about an xt3 no. but an x pro 2 people did used to say oh what's that it's mm. oh, quite small is that is that film yeah but they were interested in it because they were uh you know they were curious about it rather than seeing it as a negative you know why aren't you using a bigger camera kind yeah, of thing yeah um honestly i I put it out of your mind it's really it's uh, yeah absolutely i mean why you know that's that's like you know it's like saying can a taxi driver be seen as a uh you know as a reasonable taxi driver just because he's using a smaller car than the bloke next next to him you know Mm. it's 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 nothing it's a nothing thing it's do not worry about it at all ever it's the taxi one is would you get in the mercedes or the prius doesn't matter as long as they go to the same place yeah whichever one's cheapest which would be the (laughs) xt3 that's true i i I can actually um on that one tommy um recall from my recent journey to um to the gambia to do some filming i was working with a producer that is used to ari alexas um i mean that's a big unit uh, and and you know he he's used to working on set with that. Hmm. Not once did he question the fact that I'd I'd put um, an XT3 into a fig rig, and I was using that instead. Didn't matter to him at all. 
Oh, and also we found out why they're called fig rig. Oh yeah, somebody sent in something. Somebody did send something in. You get it? Named after George Figgis, is it? Was it? Yeah. So I think you're pronouncing it wrong. I think it's a figgis rig. (laughs) Figgis, figgis. I can't find it. Mm. I'd even printed it off. We did have it. I did have it. I'm fairly sure that it's named after film a film producer or something called George Figgis. Are you? So, well, that's what the email said. Right, okay. I'm only going by what the email said. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. And he definitely said figures, not figs. There was fig. definitely an email about it. Yeah. Um, so, oh, thank you very much yes. for, for your email on that. Right. Um, if you'd like to send in your questions, then it is um, click at fujicast.co.uk. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, questions about anything, really. It can be the kit. It can be the genre. Anything you like. Anything, well... Almost anything goes. This week we decided to talk about the the currency of likes and um, also the um, the idea. Well, how how to deal with negative, um, sometimes negative comments, of which social media, of course, can be full of. Kev, you've had your more so than me. Um, you've had a you've had your real fill of this. Oh, yeah, I've had it all the way through my career, basically. Um, uh, uh, let me caveat that by saying 99% of the interactions I have in the industry are positive. Yeah. Um, but it's just that little 1% that, that you, you tend to remember the most. Um, and I remember way back when, when I first started shooting weddings, and of course, I went straight into shooting as a documentary-style photographer. And uh, I had email, anonymous emails, of course, from people who, um, probably the same person, in fairness, it came once every three months or so, saying things like, you're bringing the whole industry down, your brides will, will always regret having a photographer like you, none of your picture, none of the pe- people in your pictures are looking at the camera, etc., etc. And, you know, th- th- these may well be valid points, but the fact is they were... I don't think they're valid at all. Well, I don't think they're valid either. Right. But but the thing is, everybody has is, has a right to an opinion. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, the fact that it's anonymous and was not, I could not reply to it or kind of communicate with it. I mean, that just told me that it was somebody who was probably a little bit, uh, you know, annoyed the way the industry might have been changing a little bit, you know, and, and styles are changing. The best one I had was uh, not long ago. <laughs> in I was at Photokina and the uh, feature film were releasing the 50R, the GFX 50R, and I'd done a review of it. And uh, my my YouTube review was under embargo until I think 1 p.m. on the day of announcement or something. And of course, I tell you what, that is the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. Done a YouTube review and hit the um, uh, schedule button because knowing full well that if that goes live before the 1 p.m. embargo. Uh, that's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, mm. But trust in YouTube that schedule actually means schedule rather than <laughs> it's just going to go live. That was hardcore. Uh, anyway, the the video went live and uh, got you know it was an, it was a good video I think and uh, you know lots of fair points, mostly very positive comments apart from one guy. Oh, and he said, uh, "How could anybody? Why do Fujifilm give you cameras? How could they don't? By the way, how could uh, how does anybody trust you? you? Have you seen your teeth? You you've got the ugliest. Oh, teeth. is this the teeth guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's right. I you know I definitely don't, don't have, have the best ugly teeth. I don't have the best ganaches in the world. <laughs> um, uh, oh, but Kev. but you know what? You you get. I, I was literally in the uh, about five minutes before going on stage to give a presentation. Oh, not and the time you want to read that. No, exactly, and you." You know your nerves are kind of clattering around as it is and then you see something as 
personal as that it wasn't even um you know oh, we, i don't like these pictures or you know this camera is not for me which is fine i can you know i can deal with all of that stuff but personal attacks based entirely entirely on jealousy because mm. they've got no other currency just entirely on jealousy is horrible like really really horrible so how do you deal with it then well, uh, I'm I'm a bit more thick-skinned than I used to be, mm. um, so I kind of chuckled. Let's a little take it bit, right back it? to the start, though, for for when you know, because this is a chat about. Um, sorry to cut across you, but this is this is a chat about how to deal with it, mm. and and you know, you're you've got a reasonably large YouTube presence now. You've got it's it's twenty. What is it? Five thousand? Did you mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. twenty-five thousand? So that's good. Um, so that means you're going to get a lot of comments, mm-hmm. and they're not always going to be good ones. Mm-hmm. But right at the start, when you had far less subscribers, where most photographers sit, how you know how do you deal with negative stuff? Do you wait? Do you roll up your sleeves and think, right, or or do you or do you say no? Do you know what? I'm going to deal with you with kindness. Yeah, I think. Um Dealing with them with, with kindness is the best way because the, otherwise you're what you know you have to be yourself. Put it that way. Mm. And if your initial reaction is to be aggressive and angry, then that doesn't necessarily make you any different to them. Mm. Perhaps I have a very I have a base policy on my content, my YouTube content, Instagram, all of that kind of stuff. That I will allow anybody to say absolutely anything as long as it's a valid argument, has valid reasoning, uh, you know. And uh, but dealing with it from a psychological point of view is hard. You know, it can be hard. But that's why I say, you know, you have to remember that ninety nine percent of the stuff is good and positive. And everybody, everybody who is creating any content that goes public, whether you're a wedding photographer, a street photographer, an artist a painter a sculptor whatever you are it's subjective and you will be open to um you know criticism in inverted comments and uh, creative criticism is fine you know because we all have to learn we all have to take feedback um but there's stuff that's based totally on vitriol totally on jealousy they're the ones that you know i just want to kind of grab them and, and kick them in the a little bit because it's it's just okay, what's happened to this treat and kindly uh, thing no, yeah. no no yeah yeah no like no, i'm on about the the creative criticism right. is fine oh everybody Absolutely. else gets kicked and it's the it's the personal attacks right. yeah it's yeah. that stuff i oh, mean yeah. that's that's i mean i i you know i had one recently on on youtube where the guy uh it was a youtube video i did about street photography and wedding photography the correlation between it and and i'm very very keen that when i do my youtube content i always include lots of my pictures okay and i think that's really important now i'm not stupid enough to realize that everybody's going to like all my pictures okay not even i like all my pictures and so i you know i caveated that video with look i i'm not the best wedding photographer in the world i'm certainly not the best street photographer in the world but this video is about showing the correlation between the two and how i use that correlation yeah and somebody came onto the to the video, and I left this comment on there because it, it, it was a valid opinion. However, the implementation of the opinion was was pretty cruel, and it was something along the lines of, "I'm a, uh, I was an MPA um, associate in 1982, and I can tell you now that your your photographs are nothing more than snapshots." Here we go. And, you know, and and that's fine. It's fine to be an MPA associate and it's fine to assume that my photographs are uh, nothing more than snapshots. But 
the conversation rolled on and other people came to the to the thread and and supported me mostly although some of the people did say yeah i think they're snapshots too and that's fine so those comments stay um but the the fact is it was based on nothing it was an anonymous comment there was no mm. no link to any pictures nothing you know and uh you know it was it was a pointless conversation that's that i guess that's the thing i'm saying if he'd said i really don't like your pictures because there is no uh, artistic control you don't you know you're not using lights you're not w- whatever then we could have had an honest conversation about it rather but than usually just, these people don't want an honest conversation like that they no. just want to come in drop drop what they're ever going to drop in your room and then disappear again yeah i mean it's vitriol it's often yeah, yeah, vitriol. Yeah, 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 yeah. and you know the same thing happens on facebook and instagram to a certain extent but it's you know it is hard to deal with sometimes you you do get that stuff and and me specifically possibly a little bit more than you because of my uh fujifilm relationship I, you know i've got definitely. my my head above the the turret so to speak yeah, so i yeah. can i have to expect to be shot at um and it's you know you don't i don't let it bother me these days so much but it it you know if you if you're an, uh, a a new photographer you're just in the industry um, one of the challenges I know that you will have is the worry about putting your work on your website yeah. and, you know, your blog posts and stuff. And I, I, I've speak to photographers about this regularly. Uh, you know, I'm scared about putting blog posts online because what will people think? What if they're not good enough? What if they're not good enough? That's what always comes up. And my answer to those people is it's you only have to worry about your clients do not worry about what other photographers think and you know yeah, do not worry about that definitely on that point if somebody does give you a negative thing that's when you don't want to wade in with your with your sleeves rolled up because mm. i think your clients will respect you more if you have an instagram channel facebook comments uh, youtube if you do have a youtube um, channel they'll respect you more if and you'd be amazed that the the um, i've got clients who say oh i've checked out your youtube channel i think mm. thank, thank heavens then mm-hmm. that i've always been nice in response to, well, to comments because I, because i think it shows a terribly ugly side of you if you just want to get into a fist fight well i i um i did the talk at the photography show last uh, two weeks ago whenever it was um a big talk on the the wedding live stage a lot of people there and and i finished and uh, i came off and I, I was in a bit of a hurry because i wanted to get to the car to listen to the second half of the uh, of Wales winning the Grand Slam. Did we mention that? Um, anyway, this, this only a couple of times. This uh, this guy came up. When to are me. you going to change that Welsh flag thing that you got on your Facebook? Uh, when when we lose the Grand Slam? No, we got to have that for another year at least. <laughs> this guy came up to me and he said, "Oh, uh, really? I loved your presentation. Really nice to meet you. Um, and uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks." And I was like, hmm, "A couple of weeks, a couple of weeks." Of and I was thinking, "Is he on a workshop?" <laughs> and he said, "Oh, I, I'm Dan. You're photographing our wedding." <laughs> And I was like, oh, hi. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, he watched the whole presentation and, you know, kind of, uh, and he was there in, in the, Never and his wife to be was there also. Oh, yeah, was there absolutely. Well. It was a good phrase uh, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw that on a, a Sean Tucker film, funnily enough. Don't um, worry what others think. That's no. that's the key thing. You know, of course, but, if but, you put yourself in an environment where it's, you you know, you're doing that f- for whatever reason, like YouTube, etc. Mm. Um, you know, if you're getting a majority of negativity, then there's something wrong. But, you know, weigh it all up. And uh, it's easy on YouTube because it's always the anonymous stuff. I, I had uh, I know what you were just saying about um, your head being above the parapet sometimes. Um, I I know that really that feeling only because of a couple of Fujifilm um, videos that I've made um, that have done well. I think this is currently 115,000 views, mm-hmm. which, you know, for some YouTubers is 
small, it's woeful. But for me, I always look at 115,000 as that's more than Wembley. Whoa! Um, so for me, for me, you shouldn't look at the uh, the views. Look, look at the, the hours. Look how long the hours. I know. Yeah, I, know. It, I bet that's about over a year's worth of people watching. Is it really? I would imagine so. God, yeah. I hope Wembley have got enough food. <laughs> But I, I did. I was reading in here, um, and he's uh, the the comments on this particular uh, person was talking about wedding photographers. I love this bit. Um, after a huge diatribe about not knowing about photography, he went into something about. I know you wedding photographers don't really have deadlines. No, two to three days is not a deadline. It's a vacation. But you've got to step your game up if you want to be considered a professional. And I know your average client has low standards because just like any wedding photographer's client. Boy, I thought what. Just like any wedding photographer's clients, they have low... Anyway, he went on and on and on. But um, I responded with, I'm a little too long in the tooth to be baited like this. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important when it comes to yeah. um, leaving... leaving. Th- I, I never leave thumbs down on any videos. I've no. never left one single thumbs down on any video I've ever watched on YouTube, even if I don't appreciate what M- they're saying. Me neither. The only channel I leave thumbs down on is yours. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's where they all come from. <laughs> How many accounts have you got? <laughs> anyway, that was our thought about uh, negativity. I think just in closing, um, be kind in return. I think your clients will appreciate it more. They'll like it. You'll look bigger for it. And I think never worry about other people thinking, yeah, this person's right. Because I think most people will look at those negative comments and they'll think they're being a jackass as well. Yeah. And the wedding industry is full of people who are not full. There's there's a lot of people in the wedding industry who think that they are right and everybody else everybody is wrong. Else is wrong. And, of course, that just isn't true. Well, thank you. That's it for, for another week. Uh, thanks for your questions. Lifeblood of the show. We really can't shovel coal into the firebox unless you you bring your questions to the party so send them to click at fujicast.co.uk click at fujicast.co.uk big love to our friends at uh, at simpler straps um for the uh, for the straps we've got some packets there did you see them i did yeah Who, who's gonna have the red one um jp said i bet you won't choose the red one it's very nice though i tell you who would have that who patrick Leroc. he loves red straps should we send it to him as a prezi we could do do you think he's already got one though possibly because i quite like the red one actually now i'm looking at it i'll send it to him yeah okay so thank you to our friends at simpler straps um for giving us um a strap to give away to our favorite email question of the week every single week and next week is easter break we're not going to be here where are you what are you doing for easter i'm eating my kids Mm. chocolate eggs you're you're eating your kids chocolate eggs yeah don't you do that? No way! My my mum bought gave us the chocolate eggs for the kids the other day, and I had to ask her where she bought them from so I can replace them in time for Christmas, in time for Easter. <laughs> Seriously? Oh. <Well>, you <laughs> make it sound like it's weird. Yeah, it is a bit weird, isn't it? So we're we're going to be back on the twenty second, where our guest will be Tom Stoddart, um, and also um, our subjects all are going to be a bit about getting in close, working with a sixteen millimeter or wider. Um, actually, you you go not twenty three. Yeah, you're twenty three. So. 23 that range yeah yeah uh payoff this week for kev is going to be from rosa my dad's instagram is kevin mullins photography see his films on youtube at documentary i his website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk or for street workshops training and everything fujifilm go to f16.click my jack turned 11 
um, last week. We had a big no party, and he way. said, "Can I be the payoff for this week? Because it's my birthday." So yeah, all right. My dad's Instagram is Neil James. See his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo. His website is neiljames.com for pictures and one-to-one mentoring. And you can hear his other photography podcast, which is called Breathe Pictures, wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you in advance for the love you spread in the Apple Podcast Reviews. We're trying to mention each and every one of you in our self-indulgent minute. We will see you. Have a nice Easter. Enjoy yes. all your Easter eggs, Kev. Happy all your, Easter. So enjoy your, your your kids' Easter eggs. Well, chocolate's not good for them, is it? So well, obviously, it's not good for us either, really, if you think about it.